Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 967 with Travis Talbot. And that's the problem, right? If you don't have a plan, especially one that you can share that is digestible to, to the rest of your team, no one knows what to do. And that's that creates, like we're talking about culture and environment, it creates chaos and it creates fear and uncertainty. And then it, it breeds into all different other kinds of issues, right? Are you ready for it? Factors. Success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Pop Menu. Are you looking to grow your restaurant in 2023? Are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue or connecting with diners more? Maybe you want to increase sales without physically expanding your brick and mortar. If this is all true, then you are looking for Pop Menu. Pop Menu technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get your $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest principal and lead strategist at Hospitality Arts Group, Travis Talbot. Travis, are you feeling un- I'm, unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable. Yeah, I'm pumped. Man. I cannot wait to dive into your story. I know you've been in this industry for some time now, going as far back as I saw, 1991. Oh, that's that's when I started going pro, so to speak. That's when I hit the big leagues. But uh, I've been in this game since I was nine. Damn. Working for my mom, you know, shock, stocking shelves and mopping floors and working a griddle. So I got started. Yep. Yeah, So. Man. Uh, I think, I think that nowadays they call that child labor, but back then it was called experience well, and introduction. As long as they're your own children, you can circumnavigate that, I, I don't know what the laws right? are, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's what my parents told me. It was free daycare. You're coming to work. <laughs> well, my mom said it was dues paid because, you know, there's a roof over the head kind of yeah, thing, right? So. Yeah, I love that. I think we could be better about, I don't know, it's weird. It's like we're like culture is like adverse to like work. It's like work is bad, but I, I think there's something to be said about finding purpose in work and what's going through your mind. Uh, I, I agree with that. And I, and you know what? That, that was one of the things during the pandemic when all the media started going crazy about work cultures and so forth is they sure beat up on the industry in terms of toxicity and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, you got into all these discussions about, hey, all these kitchen guys are overworked. Front desk people are putting in too many hours. Bartenders are getting taxed too much. 
but in terms of um, the shifts they're having to do in doing clopins and that. But I, I think that that's it's all part and parcel of the learning curve. You know, it's like when you first start out as an athlete, you got to put in the time in yeah. the gym, man. Yeah. Right? You got to figure it out. But on the flip side, I will say I think it's also great what's happening in the industry that we are finding a balance. You know, and well, I, I think that was we are we were overdue for for better balance. Yeah, I agree. I think that what really came out of those conversations that is healthy is that there's a conversation. Yeah, you know that people can start to say, hey, I don't feel good about you know, what was happening here or hey, I had something I'd like to discuss and now I think it's okay yeah. on both sides to, to engage in that conversation where before, I don't think managers had the skill sets to hear and to respond and I think employees were fearful of how do I communicate this yeah. or is, am I allowed to? So Space is much more safe today. I think it's safe yes. to say that. Uh, so before we really dive into your story and find out how exactly you got to where you are today and what your story is, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I don't know about a, a quote, but as a mantra, it's the same conversation I have regardless of if it's a prospective client or working with a massive organization or just a mom operation or even working with young entrepreneurs is, what's your plan, man? Yeah. And it's crazy how many people that we work with regardless of scope or scale of their operation that don't have a plan. They have an intention yeah. and they've got some pretty sincere hopes. What's the difference between an intention and a plan? Intention is just dreaming it up. It's daydreaming. It's, it's having the, um, you know, you're wanting to accomplish something and having some goals in mind, but a plan is actually having something you can refer to that has step mecha- one, step, step, two. One, step two, what is the beginning? Where do we end up? How do we get there? What does that journey look like? And being, have something that you can actually reference and share. Yeah. Cause, you know, cause too many times intentions are usually held by one individual and that doesn't work when you're working in a team environment, yeah. right? Why doesn't that work? You can't. Everyone can't be working without information, without knowledge. You can't okay. read your mind. Well, and that's the problem, right? If you don't have a plan, especially one that you can share that is digestible to to the rest of your team, no one knows what to do, and that's that creates like we're talking about culture and environment. It creates chaos, yeah, and it creates fear and uncertainty, and then it yep. it breeds into all different other kinds of issues, right? Yeah, this is a point of pain for me personally right now because I'm going through that that phase right now. For the longest time, Restaurant Unstoppable was me and my editor. And there right. wasn't the plan was get two interviews a week and publish that. Well, that's a plan. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And you know, and, and, and I would like to, a lot of times we're working with people. They think that, especially when we're talking culture, it's like, okay, what's your plan for culture? How are you going to improve the environment? How are you going to change the vibe in your space? It can be something as simple as. Step one, we're going to create an email that people can send in information and, and, and it'll go to the right people. Yeah. But it, it doesn't but, have to be complicated. But as you grow, you need that, that plan. You're not shoulder to shoulder with everybody like you were in the beginning. You're, yeah. There's layers between you and the plan. So you can't just say it every day. You have to like write it down someplace and it has to be something that everybody can access. And Well, and you know what? I think there's all kinds of cliches we could reference. But if you don't have a plan, you're just like, if, even at the launch, just to get going. Right, so you said, "Hey, our plan was to do two interviews a day. That's a start. That's yeah. a launch. Yeah. And if we could get restaurants to say, hey, our first step is we want two new customers a week. Yeah, how do you do that? But that's going to have huge ripples in a positive way. It, just having that as a goal. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, there's a good point too. There's a difference between goals, like we're sure I think are linked to intentions. Is we want to do X amount of dollars more a year. We want X amount of more people coming through our doors. That's an intention. Yeah, that's a vision. That's an aiming point. Yeah, yeah. but the plan is okay how do we do that mm. all right what resources do we need to deploy and who do we need to interact and all, or get to engaged in all that yeah yeah like we want to improve our social media 
or our oh. marketing is a plan. You nailed or, a soft spot but there. <laughs> how are you going to do it? Like, yeah. what's your strategy? Or what kind of what are your posts? How often are you going to post? What's the what's the brand around the post? Like yes. all these other things. That, but asking those questions, setting those 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 milestones helps you. It's like the restart with the end in mind, right? And then reverse. Have, yeah, have a goal, have that intention, and then work backwards yeah. and say, what are the steps? Yeah, I think you're a big strategist, so I know we're going to be diving more into strategy and what that looks like uh, as we progress into the conversation. But what is your story? I mean, I know you, you've you kind of been all over the place, man. Yeah. Looking at your LinkedIn, it's just like, holy moly, what's this guy's got a lot going on. So Jack like, of all trades, master of nothing. Yeah, like, like, like do me a favor and just kind of zoom into like who you are, but don't get into the detail. Just kind of like, like if we're literally cruising at 30,000 feet in an airplane, like just look down and be like, okay, like this was the first stop. This is like, just give us those stops along the way. Well, geez, yeah, there's been so many. Like I said, started out at the age of nine, growing up on a farm, working for my mom, um, as did my brother. Um, and then I just, I got hooked early on, man. Like I was just so enamored by the, the entertainment and the hospitality. of. I, I never really looked at what I do as food and beverage. You know, that's definitely a huge component of what we do. But I look at it as the hospitality part of it and in the entertainment. You know, even early on as when I was bartending, you know, you would entertain a room of 250 people. But it's, uh, and then my goal, as soon as I knew that this was, because I actually went to school for veterinary sciences. Okay. Um, didn't last a whole long, too long in the, in the whole, you know, school elastic kind of endeavors. But, um, and I was working in nightclubs and bars while I was going to school. It's not a good combination. But uh, I just knew that this was, this was going to be a career for me and not just a transitional stepping stone. And it wasn't just a way to pay for but my That was college. post-college. Yeah. Well, even when I was in high school, like I, you know, I left home when I was 14. All right. And so I was, you know, bussing tables. So when did you graduate? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> oh, so, so you would have graduated around the early 90s, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah. So 91 is the first, like, big boy job I see in your, in your time. Yeah. So, yeah, I went, went from uh, working, like, in the, you know, for the family. Then when I went to school, I got into the game. I got under more of a higher level. And then when I got, when I dropped out of school, I decided that, uh, you know, I had some good guys took me under the wings. But that was my first gig in Electric Avenue in Calgary, which was an entertainment mecca uh, at the time. You know, it was first. For Canada, anyways. All right. And then uh, from there, I decided, and actually, I had some pretty good mentors at the time. They say, hey, listen, if you're going to be good at this game, you got to be good at everything. And that's kind of where I said, okay, I'm going to explore everything in this game. And I think, you know, when you say, who are you? One of the terms I've, I kind of used that I stole from a buddy of mine who, who kind of coined it for me is, I'm a polymath. I'm a hospitality polymath. And what is a polymath? Polymath means that I can do it all. Jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah, but a specialist. So like almost like Navy SEALs, SWAT team kind of deal. So it's not just a generalist. Is I can get in that kitchen and I can write a menu and I can work with the team and I can educate others. I can get behind that. What's bar. the term again? What's that? Polymath. A polymath. Hospitality polymath. Oh, I saw that as one of the things that you labeled underneath your profile. Yeah. yeah. I was like, is he good at math? What the hell? <laughs> no shit <Polymath>. at math. <laughs> um, I always have to have someone help me with the Excel spreadsheets and stuff. So look, looking at your LinkedIn profile. If I click on your profile, I'm actually looking at it right now. 1991, you're in Cal- Calgary. Calgary, Alberta. Calgary. Yep. Thank you. Um, and that, you were there for about 10 years, right? Uh, no, I went. Was I was it? back and forth, actually. I was back and forth between Calgary and uh, I found a, I fell in love. So I was back and forth between Calgary and Vancouver. Got it. And then I did uh, quite a stint in Vancouver. Probably the longest place I've ever stayed anywhere was Vancouver for 10 years. And I ended up working for the Don, we used to call him. Um, this guy was, he, he was the mega star of, of restaurants and nightclubs in Vancouver. Okay. Right. So I ended up starting working for him. And then when I got on board initially, 
you know, I was doing like inventory and some ops and some management. And there was like two or three locations that I was um, working at of his. By the time I left, I was the vice president of operations and we'd opened up 26 venues across Canada. Okay. All right. So um, just again, along this vein of just like cruising at 30,000 feet. So you go, you're, you're in Vancouver. How long are you there for? Vancouver, almost 10 years. 10 years. What was the next stop for you? Uh, well, out of high school first, it was cruise ships, then it was Electric Avenue, and then it was Vancouver, and then um, I opened up, actually, um, then I decided to open up my own nightclub with a buddy um, and a restaurant, and that was a hell of a learning experience. Um, and then I started branching out. I started doing everything. I got into catering. I started working in hotels. Um, I started to, you know, along the way, I worked in even in PR and communications firms. I wanted to see what the secret sauce was or what happens behind the curtains. You know, when we're always hiring these PR firms yeah. and marketing firms, I'm like, okay, well, how do they operate? And then got into the culinary heavy because I started out front of house and then my brother started out back of house. And then there was like this weird crossover where all of a sudden my brother started to learn about front of house and I went and got into the kitchens. Okay. When was that time stamp that for me? Uh, well, it got to be probably around 95, 96. Okay. Um, started getting more interested in the food. And then when we opened up our own place in 2003, um, Crush Champagne Lounge in Vancouver, we, my partner and I, um, Jeff, we had to become experts in kitchen operations because it was our place. All right. Oh, man, we got a lot going on. So we're not like looking at your again, looking at like your LinkedIn. We haven't even gotten to. Uh, at one point, you were the co-founder of Bar Watch. I'm just gonna go through this for yeah. the sake of getting it all out there. Uh, event coordinator with Men with Heart. That was 2008 to 2015. We have you were a consultant with Natick Visiting Nurse Association from 2014 to 2015. If I'm missing anything, well, that, you're you're touching into all the charitable work that I do. Okay, yeah. So that's always been a big part of me the as volunteering. A, yeah, volunteering, giving back to community, and that's part of one of the business models we have in restaurants is where, where you know how are you engaged with your community so was it around 2012 you really started leaning into the volunteer or the, the not the volunteer but the consulting uh, no so i ended up working um geez so we opened up my own club and then i actually got recruited to come to boston to work for the family that owns this restaurant that we're sitting in okay. Dylan's. so i got recruited by them and i came and did a, a couple of years in boston then i went back and forth to canada you know work depending on visas and projects and then Worked for. So that was ninety four. No, no, this. Wait. Oh, oh, so here. Jeez, uh, I don't know the date. <laughs> That's yeah. why I've got it on yeah. my LinkedIn. No, I, I hear you. And man. the fact that I've lived all like I don't. I need, like, in the last six months, I've been in six different countries, so I get scrambled on dates and so forth. So a lot of your stuff, I'm looking. It is a lot of consulting. Uh, what is Fresh Truck? Well, so Fresh Truck was we were building food trucks, okay. and then we had a man. Group. You're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm a polymath. I've done it all. I can design a food truck. I can design a restaurant. All that stuff. But um, so, so mostly working for other people. I used to be called, I you know, I would call the rainmaker or a kingmaker. So always building up other people's empires in working for them, right? And also at the same time, gleaning knowledge, gleaning different types of opera- operational insights, working for different families, different organizations. And then I went corporate and ended up working for um, one of the largest casino companies. When you say you went corporate, were you on the payroll of corporate company yes. or were you consulting for Yeah, them? I was an employee. Okay, got it. Right? But and up to this point, you're mostly just kind of like like uh, contracting yourself out. I was I a mean, hired gun. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A hired gun. So I was most, I always come in as an employee, but really my role was more or less consulting. So when I, do you know it's time or you're able to make that leap from being a hired gun, from being an employee to a hired gun. When did you do that? Well, so that was five years ago, six years ago, when I decided to actually say, hey, we're going to open up our own consulting agency. And I left a really good gig with the corporate world. So I was 
the SVP of food, beverage, and entertainment for the, in the casino company. So right around 2018? Uh, 16, yeah, 2016, so I started with bef- those guys. Before that, were you always on someone's payroll? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of start to really dive in and pull back the layers now. So you said it was after you're, you went to college, you dropped out, you were a vet, and you knew that you, were, you fell in love with hospitality. Yeah. Um, what was it that made you fall in love? What was the moment for you? Well, You're at like, that age, is... it was the excitement, man. There was, yeah. there was, you know, sex, drugs, and techno, right? It I'm was... not going to lie. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of the appeal for me of this industry, too, yeah. is just the, the being around people who are socially, emotionally intelligent like you, the, the after party. You it know. was the scene, man. Yeah. It's like, you know, watching one of those old rock and roll documentaries about, you know, the rock star lifestyle. And I was super fortunate. I've always worked for good people, and I've always worked for brands that were either super hot at the time or were just on the cusp when I got in. Yep. And so it was exciting. And uh, I love the creativity. I love the, the energy that's, you know, the amped up energy in this environment. And then, no, no lie, it was sexually charged, yeah. and it was you know high profile, and you know there's, there's it feeds your ego at that stage at the, For you know, sure. when you're in the game. But then I was also it was a, I was learning all the time because mm-hmm. I always had good employers and good mentors. Like for instance, when I worked in Vancouver. Roger pulled me aside one day and says, hey, I'm going to promote you. And I'm like, right on. Here comes the big payday and all, and all that stuff. He's like, but you're not going to make any money. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You're getting more responsibility, but you're, you're getting more. Yeah, yeah, that little cliche. We're going to give you way more responsibility, but none of the authority and your paycheck stays the same. Mind you, I was making crazy money as a bartender at the time. Where uh, else does that happen? In it, what other industry? Yeah. Oh, fuck, I couldn't name one. I mean, this is a perfect example. We're, we're talking like where there's like a better balance that needs to be met. Like nobody's going to be drawn to this industry, especially, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like as we, we as a restaurant industry kind of grows up, right, and becomes more professional, uh, that a lot of the stuff that we, we talked about before isn't the draw anymore. The the sex, drugs, and alcohol, and the good yeah, times. Which is good. We're moving away from it. It's a good healthy, thing. Man. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I think it's worth making an argument that that element of the industry was a draw for a lot of people. Well, And I'll tell you what still is a draw. So I agree with you. It's That stuff doesn't apply anymore, especially if you're a pro operator and you want to make money. Yeah, so now um, we're going to start paying people and like giving them raises as they right, have more treating responsibility. Treating them like professionals, right? Exactly. Uh, but what actually still is applicable, though, is I think this is a dynamite industry where you it's got flexibility that's one of the attractions so you can come in as a student you can pick and choose your hours you can come in as a single parent and have some flexibility around schedule so you can be with your kids um so i think flexibility is a big part of it in a good operation there still is money to be made right there's still good cash to be made and then i think it's that um it's an environment where you know you always hear people saying hey it's a family i work with and you know hey what a great team we have um, it's funny, though, the day you leave, you know, those, those relationships disintegrate for the most part. But when you're in an environment like this, especially it's when it's so intense and the demand on you in a busy place is incredible, is that it is a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of bonds and connections and chemistry there, right? So yeah. I think, that, and especially, I think you and I had a conversation a little while ago about the fact that we're losing as we become more digital, as we work from home, as we... Our off-air conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, where's the connections now? Where can I go to be connected to people? And working in this industry, you get that high energy. You get the entertainment. You get all those connections and personal connections. And like, you, meet, you meet thousands of people in a week. Yeah. Where, where does that happen anymore in the world, right? Right. No, seriously. Um, all great points. So when you were talking, you, you mentioned when, we, when we we're kind of just going through your career in fast-forward mode, Calgary was where you really... Um, 
somebody po- said, "Hey, if you really want to do this, yes. you got to learn. You got to become a polymath." What like dive into like what that dialogue was like and how you started looking at the industry different. Well, I started looking at it as a business. Like yeah. I didn't when I first got in, it was just all shits and giggles, right? And uh, late night parties and sleeping away your days and uh, you know going to all the games and all the after hours parties. It was you know it was glamorous. Um, but then uh, when I got in Calgary and I started working for this group, the Claudio's group, these guys were badasses. Like they took entertainment because I look at the nightclubs as an entertainment offering especially yeah. if, there's, if there's live music or so forth but they took it and said we got a product here and we've got a huge huge audience that's interested in it and it just wants to eat it up so they were saying hey like here's the numbers like I never thought I'd ever be talking about P&Ls when I was looking as you know, I was working as a bartender. Yeah. Um, here's how you manage the business. Here's the psychology behind this. This is the sociology behind yes. it. Yes. So That's then the it, kind of then stuff it started that getting I scientific love. and yeah. I was like, "Wow, man. Like I didn't think about the color of the flyer. I didn't think about the music track selections early in the evening as opposed to late in the evening, how it changes from one restaurant theme to another and how all that stuff matters." And then really getting into people and how they function so it's not just hey we got the music blaring and got great food is what are, like how are we stimulating people yeah. and that that last part right there is the part that gets me super excited is people and how they function because that yes. vertical in the world of hospitality and just generally speaking we are learning more and more yes. and more about how people function and the more you learn at the end of the day the business is just about relationships and the more yes. you understand how people, people work right. yeah the more you can be intentional with those relationships and really understand and empathize with the person that's sitting across identify you. empathize yeah. connect yeah, yeah. relate um, but again that comes back to my thing about what's your plan and part of that plan is who's your audience what's your identity how do you how does your identity communicate to the audience like so i believe in the archetypes i believe in avatars i believe in and nowadays when you talk about access to information um for one it's unlimited you don't have to go to school to take psychology or sociology now you can get all this stuff any, uh, online but um behavioral economics there's a whole study out there of how people make decisions and how their brain functions and that's and i think when we're working in the human game um, that's the capital, right? Yeah, man. That's the, the behavioral economics. I mean, there's one book out there. I want to get the author on the show, but I think it's called, oh, it's, it's the elephant, like standing on a ball or something like that. Push? Got me on that one. I think it's push. It's called push, but it's basically like how you can do things with physical space to literally push people to like the feng shui of it all yeah like like an example would be like footsteps on the floor you know what i mean like little things like that but that there's so many things we can do to just like to with physical space to to not no the book's called nudge 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 is the name of the book to nudge people over the edge to to make decisions and stuff like that but what i mean on the on the topic of behavioral what was the um science Behavioral science, behavioral economics, right? Economics, that's yeah, the word. Yeah. Um, and a great guy to look at that is uh, get on uh, YouTube and look up uh, Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy. Right? Well, Ogilvy is one of the biggest marketing firms in the world. And this guy is this classic English. He's a bit of a drunk. He's always talking about his you know, escapades and that. But he's got to figure it out. He's like, this game is about people. Oh. Right? And it's not just about... Like, yeah, the lighting matters. The wallpaper matters. This, the, you know, the scents that are being pumped through the hotel lobby matters. But at the end of the day, all those things, when you talk about intentions to actual mechanics, they're all doing something. And like, one of the things we like to do with a lot of our clients is the term is out there, the guest journey, the customer journey. We literally say, okay, Eric, let's you and I start our, our trek to Dylan's today. Let's start it on the T. 
And then when do we know about it? And how does it, you know, let's get on our phones and research it. And is all the information there? Can we get all the stuff that we need? And then walk through the space. How does it flow when it's busy? Sit is in it, every seat. Yes. Yeah, that was one of the things yeah. I was told early on is you, every day that you're managing, you sit and have dinner in a different table. Yeah. Right? Why is find, that? Well, you can find out if the air conditioning is shit in one spot. You can t- find out it's if the, the, lights, the lights are in your eyes. Yeah. Um, how noisy is the room if you have an open theater kitchen? Um, what's the, is this chair broken? Is this yeah. table wobbly? Is there like a, you know, back in the old days, you'd see all the coasters underneath the tables. Um, but you have to, you have to experience it. And I think that that's a lost intention and a lost art nowadays from operators. As, as this becomes more of a business model as opposed to what it used to be, I think, experiential model, is you got to know how it feels. You got to know the tactileness of it all, right? Yeah, man. I'm loving this stuff. Um, so Vancouver is really where this, they started to push and give you this, this new perspective yes. on entertainment, business, P&Ls, open book management, oh, how yeah. every person has it. Marketing, impact. branding, yeah. um, customer service, which is, you know, you hear that in every business, but what does it mean? What is that? So and I, that's a good question. I ask that all the time of our clients is, well, how do you define... The first thing I ask is, what business do you think you're in? And I say think especially because I want them to start getting the wheels turning. And usually they'll say, we're in lodging. We're in uh, live entertainment. We're in food and beverage. And Can like, I guess the answer? That sure. You, go. Is it experience? No. What right. would you say? Because then thing too is you go to the next step and say define experience because everyone has that in their fluffy yeah. you know, PR written narratives is experience to me is emotion and memory. Yeah. Right? So it's all the things you do that stimulates somebody that punches all the nerves and all the you know, pleasure centers yeah. that creates a memory. And that's experience to me, right? But no, the business that we're in is hospitality. Okay. And hospitality, if you look back to the roots of the very first like, known restaurant on the books or you go back and you know, read through all the Greeks kind of stuff, it's about how you make people feel. Yeah. And it's all the things that you do specific, all the details which are specific to a brand, to a hotel, to a space, um, to your menus and so forth. It's how you're making people feel and that's hospitality. So one of the best lessons I learned from my mom when I was getting, you know, tutoring from her was when people come into your restaurant, when they come into our restaurant is you got to treat them like they're coming into your home. Mm. So if so, if I came to your house for a dinner party, you would a make sure I knew how to get there, what time to get there. Yeah. When I got there, the very first thing you do is say, Hey, can I grab your coat? Here's the washroom. What, what can I get you? Yeah. And then you're never going to let my drink be half empty. You're never going to say, Hey, did you get enough to eat? You know, Hey, there's more stuff coming. And, and then you're going to engage people and you're going to read the room. You're going to read your audience. So that to me is hospitality. And yes, that's, I don't see plans for that anymore in no. terms of strategy. Right? You know, it's recently, I was in uh, Dallas and I, I, I teamed up with the uh, Restaurant Systems Pro guys over there to, um, they invited me to be a part of their mastermind where they get right. together their top performers, they share information, they go over, they lecture over different topics. The lecture that they went over was standards of service for this. Steps and, of service, steps standards of service, of service yeah. sequence of service. And yeah. We got into hospitality and um, one of the things that I like to think of when it comes to hospitality and how you can gauge hospitality or how you can make hospitality habitual, right? Because every habit needs a trigger. So how do you know, like what's the trigger trigger to know that you could be hospitable. And I think if you get this internal feeling of this is going to be a huge inconvenience if I do this for this person, that's the trigger to do it. That's because, the uncomfortable, comfortable zone. Yeah, 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 because like if it's the more inconvenience you feel to do something for somebody else, on the reverse side, how that's going to be received and 
perceived and received is wow they really went out of their way yes to, to make to, and, to and people will remember that forever yeah and but but you have to go out like it, it's like the more this makes me feel like an inconvenience the more i should lean into it because that's going to be going above yes. and beyond so when we talk PLs and we talk the business of it all yeah that stuff's super important if you're not profitable you're not paying your people and you're, and you're not you know you're not getting the food on the table correctly but i like to say so everyone talks roi I like to say ROE. What's the return on effort, mm. right? And especially when you're training front of house staff, um, you know, you're giving all the lessons that hey, you want to make more money, you want to make more grats, you want to make sure you can turn a guest into an ambassador. Is you got to have the details. And so you go back to some of the old school waiters, like you know, and especially in French restaurants and stuff for fine dining, they had their old playbook. No, so each waiter waiter had their own little things like you know bring their own mints you know you know that they would get to the local shop yeah. candy shop and drop them off rather than they're just the red and white swirls right that are in the, the bowl up front, um, but yeah so hospitality and I think you nailed it takes some thinking yeah and then you got to think about. When it's uncomfortable, that's probably you're on to the right path. That's the trigger, right? You got to put the you got to put in the work. Eye roll coming. Yeah. Transfer that eye roll to a smile because that's your opportunity yeah. to, to go above and beyond being inconvenienced. Uh, I think it's just a great trigger, internal trigger to know like when am I being hospitable? Does this feel like it's going to suck? Good. Yeah, you're doing something right. Well, and then here's the <laughs> other. But at the one. end of that, it's going to feel great. You know, you're going to feel like they're going to see the smiles. You're going to get your cookie. It's going to be. It will be worth it. Well, and and let's go back to like the most basic of the Maslow kind of pyramid is, mm-hmm. you know, or all the old lessons you got taught early on in life was people just. It's not hard to give hospitality. It's like, what would you want when you go out? And that's one of my questions I always say to to clients or to staff when they're kind of trying to figure out their hospitality strategy is, well, what do you look for when you go out? Well, I want to make sure that. You know, I get the food on time, that they tell me if there's going to be delays, um, if there's an inconvenience with my booking or my room, that they're going to go out of their way to make up for it. Like it's so it's people just want to be treated the yeah. way that you expect to be treated. Right. Yeah. I love that. So this was a big evolutionary point for you. It's safe to say during this, this yes. time. It was Vancouver, yeah. right? Um, Vancouver was the biggest transition. If you talk about, you know, there's three or four tra- uh, points in your life, points of reflection or inflection. Vancouver was the biggest thing. That's when I really started to learn about the business and then learn about people. Yeah. Right? And I mean, people meaning like how to be a better man. Cause you know, I was managing when I was 18 you know, not, not, not a whole lot of maturity yeah. there or, or, you know, emotional awareness or intellect. So I had to learn all that, but I had once again, good mentors, but that it was amazing how we could take a business or take our, our sales uh, from here to here by learning about people thinking about them. Right? So what did you learn about management? Like how did you evolve around management during this time? Well, I would learn that the most important thing in the world is the schedule. Mm. If you can understand how to write a schedule, if you can put in the hours and the time, because you have to think about people. Does this person have their kids on what, what days of the week? Can they work evenings? Are they a student? Um, you know, are they making enough money with the shifts that we're giving them? Are they down for splits? Are they down for clopins? Are they down for doubles? Like you really have to know, it's like you know, putting together a hockey team or any kind of team is you really have to know your players. Yeah. But when you as a manager figure out a schedule, man oh man, it makes life you talk about culture, yeah. that's step one, man. Yep. Get it right with the schedule. Yeah. And it's getting easier and easier to be good at scheduling the tools that are out oh, there. Yeah, man. Like, like seven shifts. Seven shifts and, and all those kind of yeah. things. Those are great tools, but you still have to know the people. So you can put in all your availability. You can get the algorithm right, so to speak. But you have to know, hey, do Eric and Travis get along? Yeah. Right? Or can Eric, when Travis and Eric work together, Eric can handle twice. But now you can, like, like a CRM, you can put that into yes. the system. Yeah. So like if the new manager comes on, they say, like, like you schedule two people, that will trigger something yep. that says you just 
scheduled this person and this. I th- correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's ways that you could set off triggers to not overlap two people. Or oh, the, you can set like, all the parameters. Yeah, yeah. but you have to put the time in. Exactly. Right. But, and you still have to know your people. In the, the day, you still have personalities. You got and dynamics. You got to be considered of. But that was where I learned that people, like your first customer in any environment, is your team, your staff. Yeah. Right. So get the hospitality right with them. And it makes life so much easier in terms of operations, drama, friction points. And then in, it usually translates to a better experience for the guests. So the show staff. them that you care through like listening and, and really going to work for them to, to accommodate them. Well, in my, in my estimation, management, and I hate that word, is leadership, mm. right? Management is a function, you know? So did I do inventory on Monday morning? Did I make sure all the orders are ready to go? Are we, you know, do we have the BEO is ready for this function? But management is leadership. And leadership... Leadership means you really got to be connected to people or at least have that as your genuine yeah. and authentic intention, right? I know a big, like, uh, a big uh, trigger word right now in the, the world of management is coaching. And like, like, so there's leadership and I think that's like leading by example, right? Doing what you, doing what you expect other people to do. And then what's, in your words, what's coaching? How is that the next step? Coaching is a conversation. So leadership is leading by example, making sure that the, the, the objectives are clearly identified, that you're articulating all the how-tos. Coaching is the actual conversation and, and being able to find out when someone's lagging behind, when someone needs more education, when someone needs more uh, enforcement in, in, in terms of what you're going to give them in terms of resources. So yeah. coaching to me is the personal part of it. Leadership is you, is the individual, yeah. and yeah. what you're doing in your role. Are you getting your shit together? Yeah. Are you organizing? as a manager, as a leader. And are you making my life easier? Because that's your job. Yeah. When you're in management, your goal is to make life easier for your team. And then that all eventually comes down to the guest is going to have a better experience yeah. because it was a smooth course along the way, right? Just had uh, Sam Cayucci on the show, right. founder and CEO of One Huddle. Um, and the, he gets into deep detail about the the power of coaching and the power of gamification. In uh, I don't know if you've heard of One Huddle yet, but it's a really amazing organization that's coming out of Newark, New Jersey. Uh, if you guys did not catch that episode, I highly recommend you dive into it. What are your thoughts on this idea that, and I say this often, I'm curious. Like, I don't. I think we have to accept that nobody's ever going to treat our business the way we treat it. Like be, nobody's ever going to love my baby the way I love my right, baby. Right. right. Why is that important to understand from day one? Well, and, and I think Gary Vaynerchuk's a good guy to listen yeah. to, especially early on when he basically says like these people don't, you don't expect them to put in the hundred hour work weeks. That's not their business. It's yeah. your business. Yeah. Your job is to make sure that they can do the job that's assigned to them or the task that's assigned to them. Right? Yeah. So yeah, you know, no one's ever going to take it as passionately as the owner operator. But then there's the other side of that coin where unfortunately we see as brands get sucked up as everything becomes monopolized as you see that way more corporate mentality to even individual chains and restaurants is um that they're the owners aren't passionate about the product you know they're not passionate about the environment they're not passionate about the experiential part of it it's just becomes mechanical yeah the part right? that they fell in love with they have to sacrifice to to get the growth well geez you know what it's it's rare that i run into operators nowadays or owners that actually do love the business of food and beverage, of experience, of entertainment, of people. Yeah. You know? I'm not going to lie. Like, this started to happen to me with the podcast recently. Like, the idea. You lost your passion? Well, I, I still love this part of what I do, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. 
Right. You know, the, the sitting down and talking to people who've dedicated their life to a craft and, and to, to take that knowledge, to pay it forward, to learn, to get different perspective, to give the industry different perspective. Yes. I love that part of what I do. I don't love, no offense, all the sponsors that are out there that are supporting, but trying to sell myself to sponsors. Yeah. And like that sucks so much life out of what I do and just the, the whole the monetization part of what I do and to, to keep those ducks in a row. Um, and then now that I'm traveling, you know, and going right. on site um, and not and now it's not just me, but I'm, I'm responsible for somebody else and their their comfort and their but that's the ROE ROE we were talking about. Yeah. Like you're growing and your yeah. audience is growing and you're seeing the results of all of that extra labor. But because right? of this podcast, I also know like to shed that shit as fast as possible. Ah. If you don't like it, get it off your plate as fast as possible. Yeah. Find somebody else who's better at that. Eat the you. big frog first. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I think it's, I have this podcast to 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 say thank you to because yeah, I'm publishing this for other people, but I'm also learning too right. as I'm going through this. And this idea that you don't have to do it all. If you find yourself falling out of like love with what you do, then get back to what it is that you do and, right. def- and, and find other people to do the stuff that you don't like find and, the, yeah. and, and be someone else's opportunity. Well, and, and that's part of when we talk about strategy and leadership and so forth. That's also part of your job. Find all the smart people. Find all the people that got it, that it's intuitive to them, that it's reflexive to them. Like, you know, I'm the last guy you want on the floor waitering nowadays, right? Like, <laughs> I can talk, you know, I can talk the hind legs off an ass, but I, I'm probably going to get all the PLUs wrong. I'm going to have a, oh my gosh. you know, my timing's going to be off, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's the part of the job is you've got to go out, recruit. And actually, there's a word. Everyone's... Um, Everyone's worried about retention of employees, which is important because that says something about your culture. But the recruitment, talent recruitment, I don't know anybody that's got a plan for that anymore. You know, so it's you got you got to hire the pros, but you still have to find. There's got to be somewhere in you that there's a spark of. Uh, Hey, Bruno, there's a spark of passion. Like, so what is it? Is it the food part of it? So if you're an owner of a restaurant, is it the entertainment? Is it the people? Is it the managing? Like, I used to know the guys that they got a kick out of this because it's such a chaotic game, right? Like, you know, let's I say- I love the chaos. Yeah, so it's, it's organized chaos, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you've got a restaurant next to a stadium, like down the street from Fenway here. You know, that's chaos on game day, man. And like, there's so many things that can go wrong and always do, but I know guys that feed off of that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. is that your passion or is it about, hey, like for me personally, I love writing menus. I just love the creativity to it. I love the strategy behind it. So as an owner operator, you can't you have to be able to do all things a little bit, but you got to find that one well, thing yeah. where your staff goes, man, oh, man, I love working for Eric because he's so passionate yeah. about X, Y, Z. I think that's like you, you should as you grow, as you scale, you should be the one that's behind or at least be a part of the process of creating the new element that is the growth to your business. Yeah. So using the podcast as an example, when I was just doing the interviews, I didn't have to worry about selling ad space, but I had to learn how to yeah. value ad space. And I had to learn how to sell ad space. And, but as soon as now I'm doing that, but as soon as I build the system for that and I understand how it works, then I can out, then I can delegate it. But I think people get in trouble. They del- try to delegate it before they ever get in and do it themselves. So when that person that you delegated it to says deuces, I'm out of here. You're f- yeah, because you don't know how to do the job. You right. know, well, so. let's go back to back in my early days in Calgary. I worked with an organization called the Keg. They're pretty, they're a pretty big outfit now, and their whole thing when you were a manager is your first day you're in the dish pit. Yeah, you're for two weeks you're working every station in the kitchen line. Yeah, then you're going to work the host. No matter what your experience. Yeah, and so is. you're not going to become a professional in every one of those. Um, 
one of those slots, but at least you have an appreciation and an yeah. understanding for how it all operates. So when Eric bangs out because he twisted his ankle in the nightclub the night before, he's like, okay, no big deal, guys. I'm going to be able to cover that role for him for today. Yeah. I'm not going to be great at it, but I'm going to cover yeah. it, right? Yeah. You, you need to know how to at least hobble and along. I, and I'll kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier is you got to have a plan, and part of that plan is what's your model and what's your DNA, what's your essence. I think that's a good cue for the next, com- the next topic of conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to dive into that. Right on. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Are you looking to grow your restaurants in 2023? Are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue? Or maybe you're interested in connecting more with your diners. Perhaps you want to increase your sales without physically expanding your brick and mortar. If any of these things sound familiar, then maybe you're looking for Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy. With Pop Menu, you can attract more guests to your website that's designed to easily collect their contact info and data so you can see what your guests love and why they love to dine with you. With Pop Menu, you can stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And with Pop Menu, make all your systems work better together. Improve your margins and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu, technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rates at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and to learn more about Pop Menu's entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back and you just started getting into the model and I cut you short to take a break to think of sponsors. Yeah. So get back into that train of thought about the, the strategy for the model. Well, and then models interchangeable with the, the idea of concept. Like, what's your concept? Well, let me ask you, is this sure. more of your present day knowledge of where you're at, the things that excite you? Because it was, is there any other evolutionary like step for you in your career yeah. that we should get into before talking about current day models? So, yeah, so a couple of, um, two, two things that are memorable to me in terms of, hey, you know, that kicked into a new gear or, or started a new level of learning was um, had the opportunity to work with, at the time, it was called Molson Rocks, a beer company owned a production company. Yeah. Then it, they got purchased by House of Blues. So I ended up working with House of Blues. And then that got purchased by Live Nation. So I ended up working with Live Nation. So the whole. Once again, entertainment side of that's Cosmic. based in New York City, right? Live Nation. They were originally out of Chicago. Okay, all right. I don't know where they're based out of now, but they're 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 a beast. Got it. Right. Um, so and then I started learning about the concerts and the production and all the bells and whistles and all the pulleys and stuff like that that like we talked about that really get people amped up. So that was working with Live Nation and working with live entertainment and entertainers um, and working with crowds on mass and then just working logistics. That was so. This is the stuff like the music playlist evolving with time and the, yeah. like, get into the details. Like, what were the biggest nuggets that you pulled from this that you had no clue that most of my listeners are just like I had no clue that this was well, the reality. The amount of stuff that happens in terms of planning and production, like I didn't realize how much goes into putting on a show, whether it's a show for 250 people or for 25,000. It's just the amount of details that and preparation and 
it was, it was just crazy. I, like, I never had a clue. I just go watch a show and go, okay, when's the guy coming out and make sure his mic works, right? Yeah, like, that's the, all you see from, but yeah. that should be the goal for the, the end user should not know. It should be seamless, yeah. frictionless, and they shouldn't know, they shouldn't be able to take anything apart. It should just be, we're taking it in, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then the buildup. That was one of the cool things I learned about working with Live Nation Entertainment. It's the buildup. It's the uh, creating anticipation. It's the teasers. It's that when you talk about music playlists, like you think you go to a show and you're hearing some you know, bands playlist pre-show before they come out. Nah, man, there's 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 a strategy behind. So how that. does this translate to the restaurant industry? Same thing. Like there is so many elements. Like is the HVAC working? What's the temperature in the room? Like for certain parts of the day, um, you know, are the shutters open? Are the shutters closed? Um, is the, my my favorite one is what kind of soap and what kind of toilet paper do you have in the bathroom? Because that's part of the experience, yeah. man. And those are the details that people yeah. remember. Um, I, I feel like in prefix menus, this really starts to shine more where you really are putting on a show where like there's like 18 courses or like uh, you know 12 what? courses it's, where like the first course does something. It sets you up for like the next course. And like I think story. every single touch point in, the, in when a person breaches the front door of your business everything matters right so how loud is the music is it the right concept or we're we just listening to the bartender's iphone you know that kind of stuff um everything matters man and everything's just set up to the next part of the experience including when person's left the business do you have a follow-up or did they, did they have a reservation did you follow up with them are they a frequent guest um are they on our christmas employee or not employee but our guest appreciation like mm. there's everything matters man like even the, the type of the paper that's printed like a funny conversation i have nowadays is about the qr code and menus post-COVID, right? And some people love the QR codes because it cuts down on their printing cost. It's easy. It pushes them to the website. They can get data. They can mine and stuff from it. But then I have other operators who are like, absolutely not. Scrape those off the tables. We are going back to nice, fine, heavy stock print. We're going to do calligraphy. We're going to do... And then there's a whole science behind menu engineering and menu design, menu oh, yeah. layout, right? It all matters. And even... Um, the guest may not know, but still, subconsciously, those wheels are turning. That psychology is yeah. happening. Right? So as we move to a more digital world and people are more likely to... I mean, I I go back and forth on this. I know the, the, the power of having a heavy piece of paper in front of you. With the Something tactile. Yeah. Tactile with the, the, the calligraphy and the putting the certain items in the, the yep. right place where the eye lands first yep. and all that stuff. But at the same time, I think there's something to be said about... Uh, the, the value of having a menu that you can literally go behind the back and make a change and have it pushed all of your menus across all platforms. Sure. Yeah. Especially right now with the cost of goods going through the roof. And like, I think you should be, if you have any element of, of price that changes on your, on your, if you're doing a daily inventory or at least some, like a, a weekly inventory, yeah. like that cost should be reflected in the menu. It should be dynamic. Yeah. That's all part of your, your that's part of your responsible P and L management yeah. and managing your cogs, you know, your cost of goods. And, but when you start having to print out a new menu every time there's a shift. You know in price. what? That's that's a bunch of horse shit when people get into that conversation because <laughs> yeah. it's not that hard. Like you, everything is built. Like you don't have to send everything to a printer's anymore. In terms yeah. of the printer used to have to lay it out for you. You need to have four or five back and forths and all that stuff. You can get software now where you can write it on your computer and then you send it off to a printer. Or you can print in house. Cost of printing is cheap these days. But if you're looking to cover, if you're looking to be a good business operator, that's one thing that's going to be in every single guest's hands. That's the one thing that they're all going to look at when they come to your restaurant yeah. is a menu. So why wouldn't you make the investment there to make an impression? Yeah. And, well, sorry, keep going. Yeah, and, and if you have to swap it out because, you know, chicken thighs went up or, you know, whatever your costs that you have to kind of manage for is, that's a small price to pay. So let's say it costs you $200 every time to reprint menus. So what? 
mm-hmm. right? Like you'll figure it out. And that's one of the things I always like to say too is whatever your goals are, whatever your financial objectives are, and I get that. There's a threshold to what you can charge the guest and what costs you can pass along before it becomes ridiculous. Um, there's cost of business and the costs are going up every day. They always have been since the history of business, yeah. right? Is figure it out. Give me a spreadsheet. Tell me what you need to make to pay your bills, cover your overhead, keep your business operating, keep it profitable. Give me your spreadsheet. Give me your menu mix. And we'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, right? So that's, I think that's laziness when people are like, we're not going to put menus out because it's too costly. Well, yeah. Uh, I see that perspective. What triggered this for me is when you were talking about menu engineering and the science behind menu engineering yes. and how you can really geek out on that. What, what's happening with the, the evolution of menu engineering is it's moving to a digital place where now that idea of like human behavior and like it's starting to overlap with the digital. Yep little tweaks you can make and now that these companies are really starting to get again into that, the human behavior human science through the interface of a tablet or a phone right. and the things you can do digitally to influence people yeah is well, still engineering far yeah, yeah far out like performs what you can do on a piece of paper like uh you can you you can't segment a menu a piece of paper to a person but like if you no. pull up a menu and the menu knows who's looking at it you can change that menu in real time to to right. se- be segmented towards an individual don't, the shit's super powerful oh, like, don't get me the wrong. next level of menu engineering digitally is just like um, yeah and i'm now i'm looking at, looking at chat gpt and all yeah. these ai platforms and the amount of it's back the back of house now in most of these pos programs the amount of data you can pull and even from your website where you can track your eyes and bounce rates yeah. and where they're going but on now there's a camera looking yeah. at the consumer so i'm all for that <laughs> but I'm also not for... The menu looks back. <laughs> well, and you know what? How about this? Do both. Yeah. Have a really great... And actually, it's funny you say it takes two seconds to change the menu online. Do you know how many times I go into restaurants and their menu online is dated? Or well, that was the other thing. Right? Like You might change the menu in the house. You might have to print out 250 pieces of paper. But also, where where else is that menu digitally that you're not? Yeah, where does it live? Yeah. And it's not yeah, sometimes I'm you, if, if something's five more dollars more expensive on the menu that's oh, in front of them that, that was different there's, online. There's people, you're going to hear about it. Like there's there's always been people looking for the weak spot, and, yeah. you know. But there's people out there that will literally go through your digital footprint. So they'll go to Yelp, they'll go to Google businesses, they'll go to your website, your social media pages, and they'll find those weak links where there's discrepancies and then they're going to take you to task on it. They're going to yeah. take you to the mat and beat the shit out of you because you didn't do all of those things. It's easy to do, like you said. It's so easy to do. But it doesn't get yeah. done, yeah. right? So here's, here's my recommendation is to most people is do both. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you're going to go into the computer and you're going to have to change the menu for whatever reason, it's your, it's your, you know, you're doing menus twice a year, so it's that time of year, or you know, your cost went up and you need to take something off the menu. Whatever the reason is, you have to sit down at a laptop at some point in time and enter in the data. Right. So if you choose to do both, what is the best practice around that? Do you put one down on the on the table, or do you ask if? If they would prefer, what, a paper. you know what? That is good hospitality. Asking yeah. a question, engaging yeah. your guests, and I've seen some really good restaurants at the high end. Daniel Ballou, Thomas Keller level. Well, they'll say, "Hey, we have a menu. Would you would you care for it, or would you like to open it up on your iPad?" Or some people will actually bring iPads to your table yeah. or your phone. Um, or and actually, we, I worked when I worked in the casinos. We had a great product. It was called Atlas Steak and Fish. Pretty high end operation. Pretty high end venue. And you had the option. You had the iPad at the table or they would also place menus down and you can give people the option. Like that's a part of hospitality is make it easy for them. Give them options. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. like you say, everyone has a different, a different uh, stimulus and they want different things. So if, nowadays, if we have the technology, do both. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm loving this, man. So I don't know if we got it. And if we did and I missed it, I apologize. But along this 
following this vein of your evolution right. as a professional, you talked about your experience in Vancouver, how that was a real evolutionary experience for you. What was the next evolution if there were any? Well, it was going into ownership, owning my own places. Yeah. All right. So there was... How was that different for you? Man, it's a, it's a humbling experience. Yeah. When was this? So that was 2003 that we opened up Crush. And then years later, I opened up another nightclub in Calgary called Snatch Rock and Roll Lounge. Um, and that was a big, you know, huge outfit. So what was it about Crush? In Van- was this, in, this is in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Crush yeah. was in Vancouver. Snatch was in uh, Calgary. 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 But, um, I keep on yeah. saying that word funny. I'm in the city. <laughs> Calgary, as they say it there. Yeah. But um, once it was about learning responsibility. It was about keeping your ego in check. It was about humility, being humble. And then it was also like, fuck, man, there's a lot of hours to put in when you're running your own business. Like, if you've got entertainment and this, because we were, we were a restaurant and we were alive and like, we bring DJs in at 10 o'clock at night. And so, you know, you're, you're sometimes coming in, you know, at eight in the morning to get your orders. Right, so set up for your day, do your mees. Um, you know, sometimes we were cleaning our, we're doing our own cleaning, so you got to get in there and scrub the urinals of yourself and stuff. Because could you recommend that today, or do you think absolutely it's not? Yeah. <laughs> right, that was, but that's all the things you don't know. And like yeah. you were saying earlier, delegation and, but you know, most people look at everything as a cost. It's like, yeah, but where can you make up the revenue to offset that cost? And what's the cost of your time and your expertise if it's being lost? Like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm happy to go in and clean up puke off the floor. I'm happy to go in and scrub toilets rather than asking my staff to. Do it, but is that the best use of my time? Yeah, this is um, if you want to become a millionaire, and this is a line I don't know. I'm paraphrasing from uh, from uh, Gino Wickman, the author of Traction, and uh, the Ten Disciplines is the next thing he's pushing. Uh, And one of those disciplines is don't do twenty five dollar an hour work. Yeah, if you want to be a millionaire, yeah. then stop doing $25 an hour work. Well, and it also goes and back to cleaning what puke is $25 an hour work. Man, I've done it so many times. And there, and there's something to be said about, Hey, if you go and do it once and everyone sees that you're willing to do that, I think that's enough. But you, that's, yeah. but in that moment, you're not doing, you are doing the work, but the, there's an overarching level of work that's happening. It's showing what's well, the message of I'm willing to yeah, do this too. Exactly. There's, so, there's no work that's below me. Uh, exactly. So, so it's a double edged sword yeah. or not maybe two prong. <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And then so it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is what are you good at? What do you excel at? And where does your passion lie that when you do it, it's going to be infectious, right? So for me to go in and clean up the bathrooms, it, sometimes it needs to be done. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to show the team that I'm willing to do it. But where I really want to be able to contribute to the whole conversation and the whole business is I want to get the brand right. I want to get the guest experience right. I want to get the marketing on point so that there's bodies coming through the door, asses in seats, so that I can pay somebody a reasonable wage to do that $25 an hour work, right? So I'm putting together my years of expertise, my 100K kind of salary to build a business that business builds lives, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you said that you learn more about responsibility, the ego, the humility, and also surprised by by the hours of work. So, for people listening to this who have maybe been working in the industry, they've been managing, they're they're on the team, but they're not the owner, but they're transitioning to ownership. How right. do you brace yourself for the the level of work, the man hours you're going to put in? Well, you, you got to write a schedule for yourself. 
right? You got to figure out where to, and also too, that's, I think that sometimes there's this mentality that busy work is good work. Like, mm. the, I, I, you know, you hear all these people, I put in a hundred hours. Like it used to be a badge of honor, how many hours you could put in, how many shifts you could work back to back. Um, and I think that nowadays that's just ridiculous, right? Like plan out your week. And I, I, a lot of times some people would go in and say, hey, have you done a marketing plan? Do you have a business plan? And when's the last time you reviewed your sales mixes and actually did some, you know, the dogs and plow horses and the, you know, the racehorses and stuff like that. We don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm like, sit down with me. Tell me what you do for eight hours. Or if you're doing 14 to 16 hours, tell me what you're doing, man. Cause something's wrong. Right. Yeah. If, if, unless you are balls out busy from the minute you open your doors to the minute the lights go off and the cleaning crew is kind of the way in, something's wrong with your time management. So a lot of times people will make themselves as busy as possible. Like the manager. I'm guilty of this. Ah, it's terrible practice, man. And like, especially if you're working off a list, what you'll start to do is like you'll put items on that list that you know are super achievable. So you feel like you're doing work and being pro- And there's people that'll create. But those are all things you should be delegating. Well, and then and some people will create those massive yeah. lists because there's a dope dopamine hit to say, hey, I got oh, yeah. 15 things done. I'm like, you shouldn't have done any of those things, right? You yeah. should be doing you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, and there's so many tools out there. Like, never mind like apps and stuff like that. Um, but like the, you know, remember the old planners, like the red book, the manager's red book or yeah. the black book is, hey, first things first, let's get a hold of all the reservations. Second things you know, in place is, do we have food? Yeah. Right? Does everything work Inventory. in the building? Yeah. Right? And you talk about culture. There's a big play is if you want to be a good manager, a good operator, a good leader, is make sure everything works. Yeah. Like nothing worse than going into a shift or into service and you're yeah. like, pizza oven's still fucking broken. And people don't have the tools yeah. to do the job. You yeah, can't expect somebody to do the job if they don't have the tools yeah. and to do I, it. And I love operations where I see poor kids running down to the local Publix to get groceries for mm. the shift or they're walking into CVS and coming back with hand pumps full of soap. It's like, man, if you want to focus your time yeah. do the things that matter right but I, it's amazing how, I think people are just fearful and they, they think that there's job security too in being busy but like I said if you're if you're at the pass window as a manager and you're just doing nothing but running plates all night long when that could be some 17 year old high school kid that can pull it off and get it done right yeah. if you've trained them correctly that's that's a silly use of resources and talent and time yeah so you talked about um, ego check Um, So talk about what was your ego going into ownership and how did that ownership change your perspective on who you are? I heard a great line and, you know, you hear it all the time about like bands, artists, people that usually, you know, go through that tough period of time where they're just a mess. Like, you know, the Robert Downey Jr. kind of special phase is what we used to call it. But ego is, I love this term, is edging the guest out of the equation. Mm. Right. So it's not about you. It's about what you can deliver. Right. So I, a lot of times we'll talk to clients and I'm like, are we doing, is this something that you want? Do you want this on the menu or is this playlist because you like this music and all of that's ego. If you're doing it just to feed your own wants and whims, that's not really a defined brand. That's not a defined experience. And it's definitely not putting the guest who's opening up their wallet. It's not putting them first. Right. So ego needs to get in check for me. What we, um, but where we, we screwed up or where I screwed up, I should say, is we were too successful, right? So our first night, so A, I got to work for great people that all of their businesses were successful. They had resources. We didn't want for anything. Everything got fixed. Everything was top, you know, top of the line. When we opened up our own place, we were lined up down the road every single night of the week, 
right? And it got full of myself. We thought we had it all figured out and we were prodigies and fuck, we were going to be the next Randy Gerbers. And really, we just had a lot of really good people that supported us in the beginning just through our networks in the industry. Um, it was a different time. We, you know, and, we had a, and we had a cool concept. You know, we did come up with something that was innovative and original. Um, but then I lost track of my people. I lost track of putting them first. I lost track of being a good promoter. How long did it take you to lose track? Six months. Six months. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we started losing good people. Like guys that we'd spent so much time recruiting and, you know, cajoling and, you know, romancing and then forgetting about all that when all of a sudden we were busy. It's like, oh, that guy's a pain in the ass. Okay. Knowing what you know now, reflecting back at this point, you hit the six month mark. Yeah. What were the things you would have done before? Leading up to that six-month mark to, to make sure what happened after six months didn't happen. I would say two things. And so we would talk about in time allocation. I would make say you got to have your own schedule and you got to have your own objectives in terms of, hey, what do I want to accomplish? Like you got to treat yourself like a business. Yeah. And you got to treat yourself a little bit like you know, your most valued employee. Yeah. Right. So I think that would be one. And then two is, and I would say this even now, and I keep relearning this lesson is your people are everything. Like, no matter how many robots we get in the system, no matter how much more technology is coming in, it's still, we're in the human game. Yeah. Right? And when humans are delivering, it's not, there's, there's nothing in this space that we were completely going to replace, you know, except for walking up to a wall and pouring out your own wine. But still, someone's going to sell you the cards. Someone's going to walk you through, you know, the offerings. Someone's got to create the website and write the copy. So you're still in the people game. And I would say that at the beginning of every single shift, that's what I learned is that's your first priority. How is everyone doing? How, how are our people feeling? How does everyone look? So what does that look like? How do, we, how do we mimic this? How do we go through these steps every day? It's got to be whatever tool you're using to plan out your day. It's got to be in there at the beginning. It being? It being engagement. Like yeah. you got to, and you talk about coaching. You got to have a conversation. And I, I like the language of read the room. Right, like yeah. read your people. So you should be able to walk. Good managers should be able to walk into a place, regardless of time, day, and go. Something's off, right? And that means something is usually someone, right? And usually, if someone's not performing, it's either our fault because we're not giving them the resources, or we've done a poor job scheduling and putting teams together, um, or it's that something's off, and we got to help them. Yeah. Right. Management. You don't manage people. You work with people and you yeah. interact with people. You manage product. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike Ganino, past guest on the show, expert on consulting, wrote the book Culture. I'm sorry, an expert on culture. Wrote the book Culture for Dummies. Yeah. Literally, he, they recruited him to write that book. Uh, said the best number to to gauge to track every day. Do you have any idea what it might be? Well, I think a lot of people will say labor hours, right? Yeah, but and that's what I would have thought too. But he said just a simple question that you can ask every how employee on the way out, one to five, on a scale from one to five, how are you today? Yeah. And if you get some threes and twos, it's time for you, even a four. Well, it's time for you to you do know? some some thinking. And it's yeah. time for you to do an, assess, an assessment, a situational assessment, right? Because I'm a firm believer if anything's wrong in the operation, it's usually a people problem yeah. and it's not that the people are the problem is that there's something that's affecting their ability a miscommunication a miscommunication a i don't have a clue what you want from me yeah. um you know a failed expectations or hey you're not treating me like a person yeah right um or you're where are you you're absentee you're an absentee owner you're an absentee manager but that's the job of leadership is getting in there with the people and doing all those things you say and i think that that should be a beginning of the shift and like i used to have a system that we used to my brother and i came up with is 10 minutes a day, 
10 minutes every shift. If you can't, if you tell me you don't have 10 minutes, then you need to get it into a different game. But at the beginning of the shift or the end of the shift is 10 minutes with one employee each day and someone different every day. Yeah. So to, today, hey, Eric, hey, how are you doing, man? Like, how are things going? Uh, everything cool? Tell me about your family. What do you know? How was your ball game this that's last Sunday? Like, humans, right? Yeah. Be human to each other. Yeah. And then the next day, it's like, hey, uh, I talked to Eric yesterday. It's kind of like sitting in a different table and different chair every day. Every day, talk to someone different. And I think you should do the small things like come in the back door, say hello to the dishwasher, shake his hand, give yes. him a fist pump. I was right? waiting for that to come out. Just, yeah. I think that the best thing you can do, the last thing that should be on your checklist when you walk out is to make eye contact and say the name of every person that's there and wish them a good night or shake their hand. Well, I'll tell you the most valuable two words I think in the entire lexicon of things available to you is, hey, Eric, thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank you. for. Like, I used to have a guy who used to thank me for showing up. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy's weirdo. He's thanking me for coming to my shift. But you know what? Years later, I remember that all the time. And it's the whole, was it Maya Angelou? It's like, people won't remember what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel and how yeah. you treated them, right? You're making me think of Dane Meyer right now. Um, I think what, I can't remember. Oh, did I lose the quote? Just... I think I lost the quote. Uh, I was listening to you talk about Maya Angelou's quote. Um, but, uh, but did he say... You're talking about Danny Meyer? Danny Meyer, there's a quote that he used. Uh, uh, He's got a zillion amount of yeah, special yeah, yeah. out of the... Yeah. setting the table, yeah. But um, just, yeah, people love the sound of their own name. You know, so just... Dale Carnegie. Oh, the, I remember what he said. Um, that, like, everybody's essentially volunteering to work for you. Because yes. there's a million different places that they could go work. They're volunteering. So, yeah. yes, thank them. Because... They could go work for somebody else just as easily, well, especially in this market. Okay, so you've had a, you have a million conversations. Yeah. I have a million conversations, yeah. and I'm having conversations all around the globe because I'm constantly mobile. And whenever you ask people, hey, you know, what was your when, when when did your career take a change for the positive? When did you make that leap forward? Uh, who are the people that you enjoyed working for? It was never, oh, I really love Chili's, the brand. It was like, you know what? I worked for this guy Eric, and he was fucking awesome. Yeah, right. He always had a joke. He always knew where to be. People always remember. Cared about me. They remember the personality yeah. dynamics, right? And they remember the people that cared. They don't remember the person that was the best Excel spreadsheet writer or the best cost of goods manager, right? Yeah, I just looked at the clock. I can't believe I've been here for almost two hours already. I know we've got a little <laughs> time setting up, uh, but I mean, it's crazy. I do want to make sure we leave time to talk about uh, business model sure. and the strategy around business model. Um, so when we, unless I'm cutting you short, is there no. anything else you want to talk about? No, man, I'm, I'm joined just rolling. So where you are today, you're, you're primarily a consultant, correct? Consultant and coaching, and we're about to launch a new online platform for coaching because consulting is telling people what they should be doing. Coaching is helping them. You know? yeah. So you're in, you're in the fight. You've got your sleeves rolled up. You're working with them. Plus, for what we do, consulting sometimes will be, hey, we're building a brand new hotel. We're building a lodge. We need, we're going to have six F&B outlets. That's a lot of strategy, creating models, coming up with aspirational menus. So is the most of your gigs right now helping people develop new models? Yes. So a majority of what we do is um, when there's a new product, like so for instance, a ski resort, if they're building a new lodge or they're renovating an existing lodge because it hasn't been touched in 25 years, we'll come in and help lead that conversation. We'll work with architects. We have designers on our team. Um, we'll work with the chefs in creating the menus. We'll work with their marketing team. So that's a lot of what we do. So what are the most successful models today? Well, what is, is the strategy behind those models? It's simple, man. It is who are you serving and what do they want? Yeah. That's as simple as that. So is, what do the people we're serving want today? 
Well, it depends what state you're in, what city you're in. Boston, Massachusetts. Boston is actually Boston's a pretty incredible story. This is now a foodie town, and yeah. there is some incredible talent. And it's not just clam chowder and lobster rolls everywhere. And it's not just you know people that come to Boston think it's St. Patty's Day 365 days a year. There are a couple places like that. The yeah. Black Rose is awesome, yeah. <laughs> right? The Black Rose is St. Patrick's Day all the time. Boston um, is a unique food city too because the other thing that well, it used has, to be shit when i first came here it was garbage yeah it was clam chowder everywhere lobster rolls everywhere and just fries and burgers and deep fried everything but now man like I mean, that sounds pretty good well, <laughs> and there's a place for it right and there's some good models out there that are yeah. making money doing it but now it's dynamic and there's like the, the, the amount of like i just walked down newberry street man there's some cool stuff down there and there's a lot more ethnic influences coming yeah. in now um, so there's a lot, so much more creativity with the chefs are being allowed to put into the, the, the concept or at least being part of the concept development. But um, So the successful model is the one that's well articulated and the one that has the guest in mind, right? As opposed to the ego plays, like I'm building this shrine to myself. And my wife and I, we like this kind of food and we just got back from a cruise and I think we should have blue Hawaiians on the menu. That's a failing model, right? right? But when you start thinking, like you said, the end in mind, when you start thinking about the guest, Who's the revenue stream is a good model is one that's well articulated and then it's it's, a, it's all about deliverables. What do you think about the the, the traditional business model? like the actual foundation that restaurants are built on, how we make money, how we price things out, how we charge people? Uh, well, I think it's a mess, right? So I don't think that there's enough people actually sitting down and asking themselves all those questions. And too often restaurant operators think that they're, they're um, offering is food and beverage, right? It's like, no, no, that's one of the transactional items, but it's experience. And then nowadays, especially like during- I thought you said it was hospitality. Well, it's hospitality, you're right. Hospitality <laughs> leads to experience. You got me, yeah. Um, but now, especially, and then I loved during, I, I hate to say this, but during COVID, I loved how creative people became out of necessity, which is unfortunate. But it goes back to some of the most successful um, restaurateurs I ever met were uh, like the, the Greek restaurant on the corner, the Italian you know, place next to your high school and stuff like that. And it was because they did their own delivery, that they, you know, they operated during hours that made sense, didn't just open for the sake of opening because you could be open 20 hours a day, that they were closed on Mondays because that's how they kept a lean staff, but didn't burn them all out, that they would sell you their, you know, they would sell you the secret sauce in a jar. Yeah. Um, so I think that the new hospitality model is everything. And it's your website's part of it. Do you have a cookbook that you're selling? Are you doing TikTok videos that, well, that you share your recipes? My next question is if what we're selling is hospitality and experience where are all in a food if we're not selling food but food is just a tra- transaction well, point yeah. right it's a point to it's make a touch money point. it's a yeah. touch point what are all the other touch points the transactional touch points the the, the opportunities to monetize an experience like where are those well, and where do people miss them people training Right. And, um, and once again, having that business plan that your team understands what you're delivering, what's your DNA, what's your perso- personality or persona. So our, our people, because, you know, we've all heard back in the days, hey, this is a Broadway production. Like we're in food and beverage. That's where we're going to actually do the money exchange. But we're in entertainment and we are a theater more or less. Right. So when the lights go on and doors open and customers come in, you're in character. Yeah. Right. But what is the character? What's appropriate for like a dive bar persona, you know, your staff um, culture and ambiance and vibe is going to be different than you know the irish pub which is going to be different than the michelin star restaurant so yeah you just don't see people operators investing in their people to say eric here's what we need to communicate here's what we're really good at make sure that you sell this from our menu because we've got it nailed um is the music right 
does it make sense? Are people are we selling fun? Are, you know, are we are we selling subtle? Are we selling romance? Yeah. You get into the archetypes, um, but yeah. So people are the number one transaction. Yeah. That, 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 and also, if you have a good server, we've all been there where you decided, hey, you and I are going to go out for a couple of burgers and some beers. And actually, you know, it's two in the morning. And part of what kept us there besides just getting drunk and shooting the breeze was that our server kept us going. They were engaged with us. They were keeping drinks coming they, because they could read us, right? And, you know, this is Simon Sinek kind of mentality is if you can read people and know what to deliver to them, because you're not going to treat every table, every customer the same way. No, it's like the Japanese and, approach to hospitality yeah. of anticipating needs. And, yes. and, and that's a case-by-case scenario. But who's, who's training those soft skills anymore? Like, you know, back in the day, it used to be, we used to train bartenders how to give change, you know, how to break down bills, what to push forward towards the guests, what to hold back. Rather than, and none of it was smoke and mirrors. None of it was with the intention of being shitty or to scam somebody. It was like, hey, here's the psychology. If you put the change separate from this and you put a dollar bill here and the fives over here, there's ways that people respond and react to that. It's just, yeah. it's just they're gonna, but they're more likely to leave a five behind. Yeah. Than like- and back when, when I was waitering, I uh, had a really good mentor. He's like, hey, learn to figure out if people are hooking up, breaking up, or you know they're making up, right? So read your table, and then if you can train people and you can support them in that, uh, like that's where a good manager comes in, a good leader is, hey, I see that Eric's spending a lot of time at table 50, he's in a group, group of eight guys, and he's getting that guest check up through the roof because he's really entertaining them. And he got them off beers, and he's got bottles of Barolo dropping on the table. Well, what's happening to the other guests in Eric's section, right? So that's where a good manager's like, hey, I need to pull this person and bring him over here, or I need to run Eric's food. Um, that's where yeah. you're really changing the experience. Yeah. And if you get two people that are sitting at your bar that are there to hook up, and they're not talking to each other yet, maybe introduce them. <laughs> I, I worked with this. Actually, he worked. With, I say worked with him, but he worked for me at the time. But back in the Shark Club days in Vancouver, I worked with this kid, Chris Simone. He was the best worst bartender I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. He only knew about three cocktails. He never bothered to learn anymore. This would be me if I was a bartender. <laughs> he wasn't allowed to do cash outs. Everything's he, either on the rocks or neat. What do oh, you oh, He had Heineken and Jack and Coke. That's yeah. all you get. And he'd have like two girls come up and order some daiquiris and he'd hand them a couple of Jack and Cokes. They'd pay him and then they'd go to another bartender and go, I don't know what's wrong with that guy. Yeah. But he could read people. Yeah. He knew when to turn it on. He knew whether they didn't want to be engaged. And that's the experience. Man, he taught and he didn't actually say, oh, here's my strategy or here's how I do this. He's just, he was a natural people yeah. person. But the rest of us that we worked around him were like, fuck, this guy's got it nailed. I mean, I think there's something to be said about smoke rolling off of a cocktail. But there's also something to be said about that bartender knowing you and knowing what you well, want. Well, and actually, and, and we go back to the flair bartending days. Yeah, is, yeah man, that's, there were some guys that were kick ass at that. But you have to be able to know, hey, here comes Eric and Travis, and these guys are going to pound jack shots, and they're, they're in and out, right? And they don't want the show, or, or, they, or they're regulars. They don't want to see the flippy flippy for the next hour and a half. Mm-hmm. But the two new girls that come in, and they're all dressed up in the stupid bridal, you know, stagette kind of thing, put on the show. But... A lot of people, a lot of staff don't know where those boundaries lie or whether they're going to be supported by management or, uh, or taught that, hey, that's part of hospitality here is you give whatever service you think you need to give to that table and we'll yeah. support you. We'll make do, it happen. do you think business models are like transforming right now? Do we, should we be paying attention to different actual business models, the framework through, yes. through which our business stands on? Like an example would be like what Talk is doing with uh, the sliding, right? Like basically on a Friday night, 
that that seat is more valuable because it's in higher. Oh, you're demand. talking about dynamic pricing, like dynamic pricing. That's a business model, right? Like yeah. where we we create we we are putting on a show, and that show is more valuable on a Friday night. You're going to pay more for it. Yeah, I don't. You know, you're talking to a guy that doesn't buy into that. Okay. Oh, really? You don't? Why no, not? I don't. I don't think that I sh- I don't think as a cons- consumer or a guest I should be penalized because I decide to come on a busy night, right? I, I don't know. I, I, I see it's, that and it's a good conversation, and but I've had it with a lot of operators, and I'm like, well, why are you doing it? And for one is it's it's you know you need to capture money when you know you need to make hay when the sun shines. But once again, you you and I sit down, and I think a better solution is well, how do we make Thursdays busier? How do we make Tuesdays busier? How do we cut some of our operational costs? Do we need to go back to our sourcing? Do we need to change our hours of operation and cut some labor? Um, I don't think that your yeah. guests should have to play roulette with your. Well, what about somebody like me who who doesn't make a lot of money, but I'm a huge fan of the restaurant industry, and I might want to go experience. You know, Alinea, but yeah. I can't go on a Friday night rate. But you know what? Maybe on a Tuesday night, it's even less expensive yeah, than it would have been. That's if- what we're talking about programming, and we're talking about marketing, and we're talking about. So, and that, another thing I also believe in is on every single menu. Like, so, I believe that you should never ostracize or alienate any any customer because I've learned some hard lessons that way where you think you're one thing or you read a customer wrong because he's in flip-flops and t-shirt and you're kind of an upscale place. Find out the guy's a tech billionaire and you've screwed up. You lost, you know, you let, the guy pulls his platinum card and tells you to pound sand. Yeah. But I think that every single menu has room to engineer some value offerings so you're not ever excluding anybody. Right, but then that's part of programming. That's part of your marketing. Is hey, if we want Eric to come, we want everyone to come experience. Right, we want everyone in the door. You don't want to exclude anyone. So make it so you've got offerings on the menu that you could come in with, you know, Joey High Roller or Vinny Vegas, and you can get what you need if it's in your budget, and then they can get what they want. Yeah. And then program your nights, program offerings. But I don't think a steak should cost more on a Friday than it does on a Tuesday. Right, unless the t- you know, unless the Tuesday's a program that you've intentionally put together to, to drive short traffic. This podcast is all about sharing perspective, man. Yeah. You know, and like there's a million different perspectives out there and beliefs, and what's right for you is not necessarily right for the next person. Yeah, but like I see that perspective, right? And, for and, sure. And I agree with that 100, percent Eric is, and we say this as, as consultants is, especially when people are saying, "Well, what's your pricing?" It's like, "Well, I don't know what you need, and yeah. I don't know what you're looking for, your outcome. I don't know your skill sets or experience. I don't know your team. So every single project is unique, and every brand." and every model is going to have some you know, individualized nuances. So what have we not discussed well, we that, we, that you were hoping we would get into? We didn't touch on the hot button these days that everyone's... We, we kind of worked around the edges, but culture. Yeah. Right? And I think that culture is now a word that's been so dramatically charged that it's, you know, it's become political as opposed to you know, what it actually means. But um, everyone's talking about it. And to me, it's become Subway, you know, the same as Subway Fresh. There's nothing fresh about Subway other than the fact they cut the bag open this morning, right? Yeah. But culture is the same way. And when we talk about a strategy, when we talk about business plans, we talk about the little things you can do is I would love to see more operators sit down and go, what's our culture plan? And once again, that just means what are the little things that we're going to do to make people feel better, to make this environment all-inclusive? Um, and it doesn't have to be this drawn-out 40-page PowerPoint that has to be vetted by HR. It's the little stuff. It's coming in the back door. It's fist-pumping. How about this one? Knowing everyone's names and how to yeah. pronounce them correctly. You Guilty know? there. Yeah. I'm horrible with last names. Anybody who listens to this show knows I struggle with last names. But yeah, absolutely. Taking the time I, I to show write, people you care. I used to write down staff. I'd look at the schedule and write down their names on a little pad. Like, you know, how the cops have their little notepads. Yeah. Because I would get it wrong or I'd get the pronunciation wrong you know, and that stuff. So... 
it's the culture needs to be less of an ideology and more of a practice. Yeah. So what are some, so you were kind of on that, that idea of listing all the things that we can do to like have a plan for culture. What are some of the things that are happening today that you're seeing people do to go above and beyond the, the minimum expectation of what culture should be? Uh, well, for one, it's, it's part of their day, right? It's now part of the business plan or part of the daily mechanics is make culture something that's it's, it's addressed or at least talked about. Um, communication. A lot of issues are resolved with just communication. Yeah. And having now when we talk about technology, there's so many different platforms now. Like I think even like um, seven schedules, there's an opportunity where people can hey, write back and respond saying, hey, this schedule doesn't work for me, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, there's just Slack. Teams, yeah. you name it, Trello, all that stuff. There's so many ways now that you can make management leadership, or just call them decision makers and influencers, make them more accessible and make getting communicate. Like so, I remember working for one uh, one guy where I could never get him because my shifts were always different than his, yeah. and so I could never address him saying my schedule stinks, man, or hey, I need a new uniform, <laughs> mine's falling apart, yeah. but I had to go through him or whatever. Um, but nowadays, it's like. The, there's so many ways to communicate if, if there isn't, and you know, if, if you're not utilizing those platforms and making that part of the game plan, um, you're, you know, I think you're in trouble. Yeah, I think I don't, and I want to inject into this conversation the idea of having some type of framework system before you ever get started building out systems in your restaurant. I think there needs to be a system for communication. Yeah, and I think uh, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. I'm a huge Gina Wickman fan yeah. recently, uh, but that's one of the biggest reasons why I picked up that book and I'm, I'm implementing is this idea. It gives you the framework, the systems for. Uh, for communicating weekly meetings, yes, quarterly well, meetings, and annual meetings. That's funny because when I worked in corporate, the last thing we wanted was another freaking meeting. It just yeah. tore into our productivity, tore into morale. But you can do, and people want more specialized. You know, you know how TikTok feeds you your algorithm, right? I think with the platforms we have nowadays, like let's say you Slack, or you're using Teams, or you're using one of the software, like the, the restaurant-specific software platforms, is a put it together right at the beginning take the time to set it up and use it the way it's intended and then make sure that that's not only one of your first priorities but it's always a priority to maintain that system and that everyone that comes into your your enterprise knows how it works yeah so again along this idea of what are you seeing people do that's next level culture things communication is what you said communication for sure um letting them like having them contribute to the and going back to the old days, it's, hey, Eric, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from the customers? So, yeah, I can pull a sales mix and I can tell you what's moving and what's not. But when I sit down with Eric, they're like, hey, listen, this looks like shit on a plate. Like, it looks terrible when we take it out. And we hear that from the guests. Like, so that front line feedback, right? Um, the other one is going back to old school things like a pre-shift meal. There's nothing more, I think, there's no greater sin than working in food and beverage and then the hospitality game that we're in and someone's going home hungry mm. because they didn't get there at the right time. They don't have, you know, they're not being paid enough to actually buy something off the menu. Owners have limited what's available on the menu. Usually they're just giving away whatever's the cheapest and quick and yeah, fried. Un- unhealthy. Yeah, unhealthy for them. So yeah. I see some really good people that are making shift meal or family meal or staff meal or pre-shift, whatever language you want to use. But all of a sudden, say, I, then your schedule staggered. So you start at 6, I start at 7, and I missed pre-shift right, or pre-meal is I should still be able to take something home to yeah. eat. Yeah. Right? And so I think that that's something I'm seeing. People are going back to some you old school. Track it. And charge your guests for it because that's a part of it. Dude, I can figure out it. No matter what cost of business you have, I can sit down with a spreadsheet and I can make it work. Yeah, there's like this fear of overcharging. And I think that it's an irrational fear because if you if you are charging 
what you need to charge to to uh, pay the people to take care of the people that you need like you need that to to and like you need to have that first before yes. you can deliver the service well and people will pay for when we get back to the word experience people will pay for the overall experience but you can't deliver the experience without the people no, agreed no argument yeah, so. but I, and then you know what you can there's thresholds as to what you can charge and then there's some once again we talk about menu engineering and where you should make increases as opposed to someone saying we're just going to up everything by 20% that's a bad strategy yeah right but there's ways to do it that you can make your cost of goods pay your people solid pass on those those expenses to the guests but Really, when people talk about whether something was worth the, um, the money exchange, so was this plate worth this dollar value, what they're talking about is value, perceived yeah. value. Did I get a decent value for this? Yeah. I really think it stems back from the part of the, the time of our industry where we were really just hyper-focused on what the person down the street was charging and being yes. a penny or two more. And I think it's like the stigma, like this like stale like cigarette smoke stuck to the fabric of the, the industry right. that we just can't shake. And it's like, listen... Don't pay attention to what other people are doing. Pay attention yes. to what you need to Abs- do to make it work. I love that you said yeah. that because I don't even do it. People say, we do do some, you know, obviously we do groundwork and we do homework to see what's in market, what people, who's busy and why they're busy. Yeah. But when we decide, hey, this is the model we're going to go with. Here's the theme, the concept, the offerings. Let's not worry about a SWOT analysis, but how that lines up against everybody else. Let's do us and do it right and we'll charge accordingly. Yeah, exactly. And if we get it right and we nail it, who cares what everybody else around us is doing? Our guests and our cash register will tell us whether or not we're on the right track. Yeah, and people will pay for it if, it, if this is a good experience. Yeah. People want the experience. They'll, they will pay for it if you are the best, but you need the people to be the best. Yes. And, and you, the, when you get those people, you need to train them, you yeah. need to invest in them, you need to support them, and you need to be constantly engaged with them. Yeah. Right? I always I like the line that training too often nowadays is an event as opposed to a process. Yeah. So what does your training look like in the perfect world? Man, it's daily conversation. It is emailing out when like, hey, we have a new menu coming up. Yeah, we've emailed it to everybody. So you have it. Here's a syllabus, a glossary, meetings. Is everybody clear on it? Does anybody have any feedback, any concerns? So it's collaboration. And actually, there's, there's a word that came out in the last you know, social media five, ten years with influencers and collaborators. I think that every environment, a work environment, is a collaboration. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to do what I'm really good at. You're going to do what you're really good at. I'm going to support you. You're going to support me, and we're going to make you know some good things happen. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm going to give one huddle a plug again, just because I yeah, think no, what this, this company is doing is really great. They are leveraging this um, oh, I, gen, generative learning. Have you ever yes. heard of that expression? Yes. What is, what is your understanding? Well, and then there's a lot of when you talk about gamification yeah. earlier, I see all kinds of new platforms coming in where the training is all done through your phone, that there's dashboards, it gives you notifications and it's gamified so it actually is entertaining yeah. and learning. And then the generative stuff or the AI component is I may be dynamite at wines and the, the software will figure that out where you may need more and more and more support on yep. that and it's going to figure you out and saying, hey, Eric's going to need another notification. He's going to need to take more training. We're going to feed him more. So the training is case by case and the, using Absolutely. AI to track the person's strengths and weaknesses. And it's individualized. Like it's, you know, the day of bringing in 20 staff members and say, okay, here's our policy on this and here's what our next quarter is going to look like, that doesn't happen anymore, man, and it shouldn't. Yeah. It's infringing on people's time and that's one, the only resource that's universal that everyone values is time. Yeah. Right. I think one thing that they're, that they're doing with this app, which is really cool is they don't give any material about the company, the history of the company. They don't give you any of that. They say, here's a test, take it and you take it and you might not score great, 
But getting that low score is going to make you want to take the test again yes. to beat yourself and to see how you stack up. Well, and on the back people. end of that too, there's obviously a dashboard and metrics and reporting. So yeah. that says whoever is responsible for leadership and development is going to see who's doing well and who needs more, you know, more investment. Yeah. Right? So I'm all for those platforms. Yeah. And what they're figuring out is that that you actually when you don't do the reading before you take the test and you just take the test over and over again until you get a passing grade, yeah. it sticks way yeah. longer well, for some reason they, it just sticks the, the knowledge the, sticks here's the thing let's test them on what fucking matters yeah. like I don't care about the corporate vision that's for the C-suite to figure out right I don't care about the mission statement and core values because those are usually written down just as fluffery um, usually by a marketing team or HR team train people on what they need to know to do their job and what you want them to deliver to the guest. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, anything else that we have not discussed? Oh, dude, we could sit and talk for hours. I could talk. I would love to talk about menus with you one day and just about right. menu engineering. Menu, I'm down, man. Um, oh, you're, and guest experience, how to shape and craft a guest experience. It's yeah. more, you know, we talk about the tangibles, like the lights, the heating, the tables aren't wobbly. Is it nice plateware? How does the flatware feel? But there's like, we talk about reading customers, I remember at one time when I worked in a hotel, I think it was Radisson at the time, but they had an avatar sheet before that was even language in the kitchen. It's like, here's Eric, and Eric comes in twice a week, and he likes to have one scotch, but he likes to have it for four hours. We used to be able to profile most guests and put them into one of four categories, and then we taught the teams, or we were taught, how do you treat Eric? How do you treat Travis? What's the, what's the stimulus behind each one of those people? Yeah. And there's some generalities, and you can't put everybody into a box, but it sure gave people... A bit of, bit of a better understanding of this is the kind of guest this person is. This is how they um, respond. And here's the stimulus that we're going to you know, deliver yeah. to them. So a question I, I ask a lot of guests, I kind of got away from it, but I'm, I want to get back into asking this question before going to the speed round. The mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Um, where do you think we need to go? Like, Where are we today and how do we need to transform to be better in the future? What's one thing we could be doing better to be a better Jeez, industry? That's a great question. Um, and you know, one of the challenges in this business is that there's so many variables and so many places where you can turn the dials and, and tweak things up. But um, I, I'm going to go with, I think we can be better operators if we can articulate what we are and make mm. it simple. We are an Irish pub that sells great times. Mm. We are a restaurant that is known for our price fixed menu. We are a value proposition or we're, we're date night central. Like, I think really knowing who you are and making it clearly communicated to audiences mm-hmm. is key. Yeah, and not trying to be everything that You can't everybody. be all things to all people. Yeah. And going back to what we said, if you're fucking good at something, if you're really good, there's a big enough audience out there that will find you yeah. and that they're looking for that. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned, one of the biggest aha moments. Down to like, I think... There's a re- like if you're trying to get into this industry to be profitable, the less you do, the the more money you'll make. Yeah, I've, I've learned like if you put all of your like I'm saying like the Chick Fil A's of the world. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like there can only be so many Chick Fil A's, but if you can find something, there's this, this concept called stickies out of New York City that does nothing but uh, cheese sticks. Yep, but think about the operational efficiencies of that. Similar to yeah. to Chipotle, but you just like you it's, know what? And what's great about that is. They are confident and humble. And I think to me that's a humble, easy-to-execute concept that's easy to understand. Um, and it, they, they're taking all the complexity out of it. Maybe it's called Willie's or something, but I can't there, remember. Well, there's lots. There's like yeah. cane, raising canes for chicken fingers. Yeah. You know, like, even like the slider, not slider, sorry, the smash burger concepts nowadays. In a world where like there's so much option out there, and you, you're, if you just put all of your eggs into okay, trying so to... 
That's Sorry, what I would say would be transformational. Yeah. And it happened during COVID, but now people are getting, um, they're rebounding. Whereas during COVID, everyone streamlined their menus. They couldn't carry as much inventory. Yeah. They didn't have enough. It was know, a good side effect. Of yeah. The, like the pandemic, you don't, everyone doesn't need to be IHOP or Denny's with 40 fucking, or Cheesecake Cafe. Yeah. That's 40 pages of reading. I think that a lot of people really defined, took inventory and said, we are good at this. Yeah. And then people were like, yeah, man, that's why we come here. So I think if we were going to transform the industry, that's got to be one of the things is do less better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Get you, know who you are, know what you're good at, know who your audience is and make sure you're fucking executing on point for each one of those. I love elements. it. Awesome. One more break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Diligence. And what is your biggest weakness? Uh, passion what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team understanding and how do you know they understand both ways it's a two-way street do i understand what they're looking out of this relationship do i understand what um i can provide and is everything clearly articulate do we know do we do we know each other do we know why we're in this game right together uh what is your biggest challenge for me as a business it's Marketing, it's, it's, it's getting the word out and connecting because people are hard. Happy to help you with that. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> and I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to even be on here. But because we, we are in a very niche space, um, and it's tough to make people just get inundated with emails. And now with all the, the software programs where you can access anybody, there's the, the inboxes are full. So it's tough. We're actually going to switch up our marketing this year, and we're going back to handwritten letters. You know, it's funny you said that. There's a part of me that just wants to focus on direct mail marketing. So what is direct mail marketing? Email, SMS, or flyers, handwritten letters. Because it hits harder. Email is so hard, and especially now that people are getting hit with bots and the funnels and all that shit. And and then people are busy, and that takes up reading. So if they see, hey, I want to sell you something, or hey, I want to take time to talk to you, 
it's, we find it doesn't land in the business that we're in because we're in the people business. Yeah. But what we have found is when we wrote handwritten letters to people, like, you know, it's a simple, you know, four by five card, whatever, and send it out, they open it. Yeah. Everyone opens up mail um, when it comes, you know, in hand, as long as it's not a bill and stuff. Yeah. And so that's yeah. and that's not to say that I don't believe social media marketing works. But oh, no, my, I, think it's, I think it's a must do. It's the yellow pages of today, right? I agree, and I think that it's a. But I think the the whole system of social media, I think, is fucking with society. And I think that we should at least weigh that into. It's like you know, like what the hell are we doing sometimes? Where yeah. like it, it's like everything. It, it, I think it, it just it, somehow social media has gotten so, so much momentum that it like literally sways in the I, I think it's a the, must do I think it's like having yellow pages you have to have a Facebook or an Instagram profile depending on your audience yeah but I, I think, think that there's still an opportunity where people want to have personal interaction my prediction on social media is that the the amount of social platforms there are are going to fragment <laughs> and there's going to be much more social platforms that are holistic and ethically created not to I exploit hope so. people I, I hope not right. to manipulate people yeah um because the technology is there. I mean, I think I'm doing it with Restaurant Unstoppable Network, with Mighty Networks, where yeah. I own that platform. You know, I, I decide what, you know, like, like, like I can say, listen, we're here to, to share knowledge. There's no algorithm right. behind this. There's just what do you want? What are you interested in? And how can we help each other and, like, not well, manipulate all people? for the, the aspect of social media is the sharing economy and yeah. the storytelling. The rest of it, I think, is, like you say, it's a little bit sinister, right? Yeah. And it's, I think it's, people are also overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. So anyway, Anyways, sorry. It's supposed yeah. to be a speed round. My bad. Okay. <laughs> uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Kindness, man. Yeah. Everyone, just be kind. I think, I think there's a web, website out there. I've tried to contact these guys. Just be nice, dude. Yeah. Right? And I, and I think that's the best, best algorithm to anything. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest. The follow-up. Mm. Right. So once it's, it, people are notorious for dropping the billfold, doing the credit card transaction, and then as far as the server or bartender or the front desk is concerned, that interaction's over. Yeah. Right. So how many times have we all gone to dinner and all of a sudden, okay, hey, Eric's going to book out. We'll settle up the bill. But Travis and Paul are going to stick around for another six hours, but they have to wait to wave somebody down or they've been told they have to give up the table that their time is over. Um, I think that that's something that needs to be trained is once again, reading the table, providing the guests with options. Hey, you guys sticking around? You want to move up to the bar? Do you want to move to a quieter part? Getting ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. Getting ahead of it and making it saying, listen, don't lose that customer at the end of the yeah. experience. And then if you've got information on somebody, so back in the old days, you know, you go through the Rezo book, you took their phone number. Nowadays, everyone's making the online reservations through open table and so forth. Resi, you got the information follow up yeah follow up and say thank like, I mean we're talking about the power of thank you follow yeah. up and say hey thank you for, for coming in last night yeah. really appreciate your patronage because you have options make we, them an offer to get to come back a second time but just engage you them know? man and just yeah. thank them thank them because they did give you something right? yeah yeah uh, what's one book that's a, that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner oh I have a new one I just read it's um, from the Disney Institute oh. Um, shit, I don't remember the name of it, but it's about the Disney Institute and some, it's all about guest service. But man, oh man, the nuggets you can pull from what they've, how they've built their model and how they deliver all the touch points and how they think it through. Um, and some of the, some of the goofy, but you know, kind of interesting. Is it be our guest? Yes. Got it. Thank you. Yep. Um, it's, a, I just finished reading that on the plane coming back from uh, Portugal. Man, I, I got jazzed up. I was excited. Biggest lesson from that book. 
Be, be imaginative. Be creative. So they had the, they called their creative team Imagineers. And remember we were talking about what to do with the menu, how, what, what are the delivery touch points in terms of creating an experience or crafting an experience. Their whole thing is just, man, let it go. Like, be creative. Let the wheels start turning. There's yeah. no wrong answers. Yeah. And then when, out of all of that that's generated, we'll pick one and we're going to nail it. Yeah, right. I want to go to Disney real bad. My brother and I are planning a trip. Uh, he used to work there when he was in college, so he wants to reconnect with... I just came back the, from Universal Studios, and same thing. Like, There isn't a single thing that when you like you talk about the footsteps that they haven't thought through. Maybe we should get them on the show. Yeah, well, if you can get them, man, right. all the power, yeah. <laughs> What's one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Well, I'm going to go back to my original statement, and it's what, the core of what we do is they don't have a plan. Yeah. Right, they don't have a plan in terms of what's the goal other than just hey, we want to make money. Of course you do, right? Um, we want to lower costs. Yeah, man, that's part of business. Yep. But what about the rest of it? Yep. Right. So I would say having a plan, having a strategy, um, and then about people. Yep. Get in the people game. What is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted or you've coached somebody to recently adopt? Oh, we we, we, we were talking about earlier is. is um, I just started out the coaching platforms, the communication platforms. So whether, you know, everyone has their own preference or their IT department will tell you what's acceptable and what not. But I think we have convinced so many people to use Slack. And then in that though, you got to put parameters on it. You have to set up the structure. You have to manage it. It's a tool that can go sideways. That'd be cool. Uh, follow-up interview is best practices around Slack for restaurants. Yeah, well, we we actually write little decks and say, okay, here's a PowerPoint. Here's when you use email. Here's when you use Slack. Here's what you can use on it, what you can't use on it. And then you got to have an administrator or a monitor for stuff like that because conversations can run wild, right? Yeah. But uh, that is one thing that we've almost universally had clients come back and say, whether it was Slack or whether it was Teams or whether it was Trello or Asana or Notion, whatever platform they gravitate towards or they like they like the look and feel and on the way it operates, they've all come back and said, hey, yeah, we're getting some good engagement from our teams. You know, and some companies have employee scoring, you know, so employees will rate the owners and operators. Yep. Um, and then whenever you put a communication tool in and make it not just available, but make it something that is being utilized and utilized in the correct way and managed, they all come back and say, hey, it's it. improved it. This is the last question. Sure. You ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, you work in your restaurants will be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Have fun. Life is short, man. So have fun. So whatever you're doing, you better enjoy it. Um, be kind, right? Kindness is just, it should be universal. It should be reflexive and intuitive. Um, an adventure, man. Like, yeah. look, I, I get out there and adventure. Have fun, be kind, be adventurous. Yeah. I love it, man. This has been a great time. Awesome. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, I like to find the majority of my guests going into the future by having my current guests call somebody out. So when you think of restaurant tours that are just badasses who have a lot to give, a lot of knowledge, who are successful, profitable, who are these? What are the names that come into mind? People you think I should get on the show? Call well, on. one would be my friend Bruno, who's actually oh, nice. here. Yeah. Um, Bruno is old school, Rocky Balboa Italian. Nice. Like he's from the North End. He's got a, quite a lineage here in town. And he's rough around the edges. Um, but man, he is the mayor of hospitality. And then there's a hospitality scene here in town. And he, like we talked about keeping it simple. He gets it. He's yeah. just like, here's what people want when they come here. Here's what they want when they go to my other... He's, he oversees three to four restaurants. Um, so he's one. The other one that I really... I find inspiration in is Tanya Nayak, right? Who is a designer. Um, I've worked with her on a few projects. What's her name? Tanya Nayak. She's out of Boston as well. So she is a designer, first and foremost. 
she uh, you know she works on Restaurant Impossible. She's on Home and Garden. She's everywhere, man. She's but she's also a restaurateur, and because she's a designer, she gets all of those elements right. But she's also practical and pragmatic, and she's guest forward. So it's you know she can you know she can get into the design elements, and she'll just build the most gorgeous places. Yeah. But she's like. Does this make sense for the concept? Is yeah. this what the customer wants? Is yeah. this is this selection of colors and textiles? Does it all go together with what we're trying to achieve? So she's inspiration. I really get a kick out of her, and she's fun. She likes yeah. to have fun, right? Bruno, Tanya, look out! I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? If we've really enjoyed today's conversation, we're inspired by you. We're looking to hire a coach, and maybe we're thinking about. Right. Maybe you well, might be a good fit. What's the best way to connect? So the best way for me is um, LinkedIn, right? Because um, I, I just, for some reason, that I haven't set up all the right ways. It's giving me the notifications. It comes to my phone. It never goes down. Yeah. Uh, the other one is hospitalityarts.group is our website for our consulting. And, you know, all of those messages come to our t- all of the teams. So there's never a missed email because no matter who the emails go to, we all get duplicates of it. And then later on uh, in next month, we're going to be uh, launching Apex Fox co- Coaching. So oh, nice. that is a platform where, like I said, it's not consulting. It just makes, you know, it's more of the sharing economy. So if you had just a question or two, like you wanted me to look at your menu or, hey, um, you want to ask a couple questions about opening up a business um, or, you know, just want to talk shop, we can sell you information and insight and, and have some great conversations for, you know, by the hour. What's the of. website? It's called Apex Fox Coaching. Beautiful. Um, this is, I'm not sure the episode number. So just make sure you're paying attention to the, the episode number when you're looking. Well, I've over. got your email. You can't yeah. hide from me. Yeah. Whatever the episode number is, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash the episode number. I'll have the summary of today's discussion as well as the links to any tools or services or books recommended and how to connect with Travis. Travis, thank you so much, my man, for taking the time to share your story and your knowledge. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Right on, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity. and Enjoy the conversation. Pleasure's mine. Cheers. Right on. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Travis Talbot, for coming on, for opening up, for getting vulnerable, and for being so generous with your knowledge and wisdom uh, that you've accumulated over the years. It was an awesome episode. Again, thank you. And if you want more podcast episodes just like this, we do need your support, and there's a ton of ways you can support the show. You can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. That's whenever a tool or service is recommended or organically on the show head over the show notes and we'll have a link to that tool or service over there and uh, we can get a commission and that helps so much you can share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry you can leave a review on itunes or spotify wherever you're listening to this if there's a way to leave a review please leave a review usually it really does help with rankings the more reviews you have and then uh, you can come hang out and restaurant unstoppable network where we have ad free content where we have access to other listeners so it can be lonely at the top but it doesn't have to be you can reach out to other people across the country who are finding value in this podcast and you can find support in them you can connect with our past guests and the tools and services that are being recommended on the show and we'd love to have you over there it's just a dollar a day and uh you know we're doing some cool stuff over there and uh, on the note of the podcast or sorry on, on the note of the network um we are interested in possibly finding a community manager. So if you're somebody who is passionate about the restaurant industry, passionate about connecting people in the restaurant industry, and you want to support this podcast, uh, we, we do need some people to kind of help 
carry the the load over there at the network. So being a community manager, a uh, digital community manager, is something you might be interested in. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantstoppable.com, because we do need help. And then um, but can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for your copywriting and editing. Uh, thank you to Sam Hall over at sabinsam.com for following this weirdo across the country and helping me collect content and uh, posting that content on social media. You've been a huge help. And then I, I want to give a little nod to Anna Tazen. She's kind of been ha- helping on behind the scenes, helping us develop our sponsorship packages and to sell that ad space. So thank you to Anna Tazen. And it, it takes an army. I'm so grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.